I mean, I don't know how many times I heard that if President Biden was elected, the American way of life is going to end. Jesus doesn't force himself on people. He still leaves it up to people to follow him or not. So when Christians pass on information that is verifiably untrue, we are aiding the enemy of our souls. Welcome to Living Beyond Your Memes, where we try to help Christians get beyond talking points and pat answers and engage the world around us the way Jesus did. I'm your host, Brian LaCroix, and I'm joined by my good friend, Josh Latterell. In this episode, we're going to continue our conversation about loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as we ask the question, what does loving God with all your mind actually look like in real life? So how are you doing tonight, Josh? I'm doing great, Brian. Good, good to be good. with you again. Well, I appreciate that. It's always good to be with you. Uh, yeah, we're recording this after the last episode, obviously, but uh, there was a time we couldn't get together because of COVIDs and travels and just life stuff happening. So it's always good to sit across the table and visit with you about stuff that I think honestly matters for the kingdom and, and not just overall, but here in our little corner of... Uh, America, Northeast South Dakota, but it starts at a small place and the kingdom grows, you know? Yeah. So I'm hoping that um, as this podcast grows and as we get more listeners, uh, we'll be able to impact people all over the place. But um, the fact that we can have these kind of conversations is great. And I'm grateful to have a guy like you, Josh, we can get together and we can talk about stuff like this. And some of these are conversations that we've had way back when, before we, a podcast was ever in our minds as an idea. So it's great that we can talk like this and have these conversations. So yeah, all I, that to say, I'm glad to be with you too, buddy. Oh, thanks. I really enjoy just our, the way that our minds get stretched and our hearts get mm -hmm. opened a little bit more as we uh, bounce ideas off each other. So yeah. yep. Yep. I, so. I appreciate this. This is fun. Yep. I'm enjoying it too. So tonight we're going to look at what does loving God with all your mind actually look like in real life? We're working on these foundational principles of what we're trying to do as a podcast. And we're talking about four foundational walls. One is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment. The second one is the golden rule, which is what we're going to talk about in a few weeks. And then the third one is the Beatitudes. And what does that look like in real life in our interactions with other people? And then fourthly is having the attitude of Christ, as talked about in Philippians chapter 2. And so tonight we're continuing on the whole greatest commandment portion of that. Last uh, episode we talked about loving God with all our heart and soul. And today we're going to talk about loving God with all your mind. And I think I may have a little more concrete direction on this one. This is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. One of the issues that we're trying to address through this podcast is that well, it's just the negative stereotype that Christians have, that many Christians have, as being people who cannot think for themselves and who just parrot with the religious leaders or the the leaders of whatever party are telling them to say and that we're not able to come to conclusions and to communicate them on our own. And that is not what God wants. So... Let's look at what does loving God with our mind really look like? And as I was doing some research for this, I came across an article by John Piper, who is a famous former pastor and theologian, and he's got a website called Desiring God. And, you know, I, I don't always agree with John Piper on some things, but 
he loves Jesus and he's impacted many, many countless numbers of people for the kingdom. And uh, he's a wiser man than me. So he's worth looking at. And I learn from him still. He's just on a different theological path than I am denominationally, so to speak. So, but here's what he says about what it means to love God with all our mind. Uh, he has three points. He says, first, it's dedicating our minds to knowing him. Secondly, thinking clearly and truly about him so that we don't have false ideas in our minds. And I, I think that is crucial because there's so many ideas about who God is and, and what he's about, and none of them have to do with anything he reveals to about himself in scripture. So that's that's important that we do that. And then lastly, not being satisfied with merely an intellectual awareness of his attributes, character, and acts, but intentionally devoting that mental effort to serve the affections or emotions for God. In other words, devoting that mental effort to affect how we feel toward God and our emotions toward God, if, if I'm reading that correctly. Any thoughts on that, reactions to that, Josh? You agree, disagree, modify? What do you I mean, think I think that? those are good aspects. I would add to that a little bit that loving God with our mind also means thinking clearly and having discernment about other things that are not necessarily God himself or God's character, but about the nature of reality in the world mm -hmm. around us. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the truth about ourselves, for right. instance. Right. In Philippians 4, 8, Paul very clearly yeah. tells us to set our minds on things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, mm -hmm. and um, meditating on truth and on beauty, whether it is God himself or something that God created that reflects God's mm -hmm. glory, right. I think is another way to love, love God with our minds. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And to do that intentionally, you know, right. taking time to set our minds on on things that are good and true and noble. Mm -hmm. um, that's not going to happen by accident. I no. noticed, I've <laughs> uh, learned the hard way that, you know, most news stories are not about things that are good and true and pure and, mo that's and true. noble. Yeah. You know, the, the stuff that you're being fed by the, I don't know what you'd call it, the, uh, information industrial complex or right, right, right. <laughs> media industrial complex, whatever it is, the sticky things are not true, noble, pure, mm -hmm. lovely necessarily. That's I mean, very true. It's if it bleeds, it leads. Right. Yep. So, yep. and I'm, I'm just as guilty of it as anybody mm -hmm. else. So, uh, you well, know, we all the love controversy, the mm -hmm. sensationalism, yep. that's what grabs our attention. So mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. default, uh, that's what your mind's going to be filled with. Right. Unless you intentionally, set it on other things. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I would add is, is part of loving God is to use your mind for the things that God designed it for, which is, you know, meditating on truth and mm -hmm. beauty and the goodness in the world and the, and the world that he created and, mm -hmm. and, and understanding things better and thinking more clearly about things. Right. And I think, uh, one of the things that society is having a hard time with when it comes to the evangelicals is that they seem to feel that evangelicals are either operating solely on faith and well, they, that they are operating solely on faith and, and cannot think. And that, that all Christians or at least evangelical Christians are anti-science, anti-knowledge, and that they just blindly follow whatever. Um, and so 
And I think they'd be surprised at how many Christians are actually leading the fields in these in various sciences. And they love God. They love the God of Scripture. They love the Scriptures. And yet they're scientists of the highest degree and caliber and are making world-changing contributions to the world right now. The head of the Genome Project, I, I, his name just escaped me, but lots of people. So one of the things that I want us to be able to do, uh, and one of the goals of this podcast is to help demonstrate that you don't have to separate faith and reason. That people of faith can be reasoned and should be reasoned and should be reasonable people. And that's what we're going to talk about um, with loving God with all our mind, because it's not just loving toward God, it's using our mind is loving God. I want to take a look at some ways that we can do that. So what does this look like in practical terms, especially in the context of our interactions with people, and especially when discussing things like politics and religion, which are the two flashpoints that we seem to be coming up on the most. So the first thing that I think of is this, that it's understanding that God has indeed given us a brain and an intellect that is not only capable of critical thinking, but demands that we use it. So we have a brain and we have an intellect and that intellect demands that we actually use it. You know, it's, it's not just there to be stale and, and to rot. I think it's an insult to God when we let others do our thinking for us, especially politically and socially and theologically. And even when it's respected Christian leaders, it's so easy to take what X Christian leader has said and just make that our own without any discernment, without any thought. And then at times we find out that they regretted what they had to say. And then it's like, oops, you know, and, and unfortunately we don't see a lot of backtracking with, we'll see some of these religious leaders, they'll make a proclamation about somebody or something. And instead of saying, you know, I was wrong, it's like, oh, well, maybe I just didn't quite understand the ramifications of the who's and what's instead of taking responsibility for something they may have said errantly. So we just need to be careful. And, and I don't have a problem with Christian leaders giving opinions. I mean, you mentioned, Josh, in a previous episode that people have opinions. We're people. We have opinions. And we should be allowed to express those no matter what the context is. I think you specifically mentioned how there are some people who think that like basketball players shouldn't have opinions. It's like, well, why not? They're people, you know, and people can disagree about where they express their opinion. You know, should it be on the basketball court or should it be after the game is over, you know, and they're in their street clothes and at their house or whatever. But we're people and we have opinions about stuff and we should be able to express those things. But so much of the rhetoric from Christian leaders is so apocalyptic and it's couched in this righteous indignation about freedom of religion and things. It's just, I mean, I don't know how many times I heard that if, if president Biden was elected, you know, the American way of life is going to end and Christians are going to be rounded up and, you know, our freedom of speech is going to be gone. Well, uh, president Biden's been president now for a year and a half. Um, I haven't seen that happening yet, um, and I have a feeling that it's not going to happen, you know, so at least not to the degree that we were led to believe by some of the people panicking toward us. So, and Christians, many Christians are just happy to go along with that. They're just like, well, yeah, you know, if this person's elected, we're all going to die. The sky's going to fall uh, because Chicken Little over here, Reverend Chicken Little said that the world's going to end if this person gets elected. And I just, 
I just cringe when I hear that. And these people just repeat this. and I just shake my head. They're not thinking for themselves. Well, I mean, we're Christians. And so obviously when we see other Christians doing that and you just regurgitating talking points or jumping on this or that bandwagon, it bothers us. Mm -hmm. Do you think Christians are particularly prone to that? Or is that something that humans in general or Americans in general fall prey to? That's a good question. I think it's a it's a much bigger problem than just Christians say that Uh, whether it's unique to Americanism, I doubt. But yes, I think it's you know, you can find that on a on any side of any issue. My concern is that it should not be a characteristic of Christians because we are to be discerning people. We are supposed to be truth bearers, you know, and we are supposed to be in love with truth. We talked uh, last time about that. One of the ways we love God with all our heart and soul is to love the things God loves. And one of the things God loves is truth. And he is truth. And when we just willy nilly repeat things without checking it out, we run the risk of spreading false information. Mm. So, uh, and that leads to the second thing here, refusing to take everything at face value. And that's just kind of what we talked about here a little bit uh, just now is that we can't believe everything that comes down the pike just because somebody we know or even respect says it. There's different parts of that. Now, sometimes we just make mistakes in processing information and passing on information that we believe to be true. You know, we didn't check it out enough or we find out later that the information that we were given was an error, but we passed it on honestly believing this was true. It was a mistake in processing that information. We we were not intentionally passing on something we knew to be not true. So we need to be diligent about doing all we can to lessen the instances of that. But some people aren't just making mistakes. They have an agenda. They want to push this agenda and they're willing to put out half truths and outright lies to make that agenda happen. And and while it's easy to accuse liberals of doing that, and we do accuse them of doing that, the hard fact is that conservatives do it as well. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, let's take the example of COVID that mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier, got mm-hmm. some personal experience with. Mm-hmm. One of the complaints against Christians and conservatives, uh, or at least certain flavors of Christians and conservatives, is that, the, is that they weren't taking things at face value. They weren't just believing the science or whatever the spokesperson for science said right. at the time mm-hmm. and were questioning those things and right. were maybe exploring alternatives to what the official line was. Right. And some of those things that were pushed by Christians turned out to be conspiracy theories or wild mm-hmm. inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. However, some of those things turned out to be plausible or true or Mm -hmm. partially true or you know were genuinely should have been questioned because Mm -hmm. the people that were you know telling everybody to believe us and do what we say were either misleading people intentionally or unintentionally or just didn't you know have all the data in or whatever Mm -hmm. so i'm just bringing that up because that's something that's kind of on everybody's mind and we've been dealing with it for a while and it brings out a lot of the you know, worst aspects that we're talking about where you've got conspiracy theories, you've got Mm -hmm. um, folks who are pushing very anti-intellectual approaches to things or very anti-science approaches to things. Mm -hmm. Then on the other hand, you have people who are accusing anybody who doesn't 
completely agree with the, you know, the government line Mm -hmm. of being a conspiracy theorist or being anti-science when in many Mm -hmm. cases they're not. And they've been, you know, some of their objections and concerns about, you know, what's happening in our country or what the scientists are saying have, are, were completely valid. Right. So it's real fuzzy and, and muddy. And it's, it's, well, I think you, you've pointed out a way that we can show examples of both sides doing that very thing of just not checking out if, for instance, when the mask mandates can, came out, those who believed in masks, you know, whatever Dr. Fauci said, that was it. There was no questioning. It was just masks and whatever. And then there was no question. And if you weren't wearing a mask, you were, you know, a jerk. You were, you were intentionally trying to kill people. You know, you had no care for anybody. You no concern. You're just a heartless, you know, whatever, uh, because you won't wear the mask. On the other side, there were some people who were genuinely questioning the efficacy or efficiency or whatever the word is, effectiveness, excuse me, of masks, wanting to honestly know. But there were also others who were pushing the conspiracy theories, the the ones who were just listening to whoever saying masks are just a step from them taking our freedoms away. You put a mask on your face. You're saying that you want our freedoms taken. This is just a Democrat way of of enslaving trolling you right silencing people right right it's like no in my personal opinion i believe and i may be totally wrong on this but i think that the majority of people who were promoting masks did so out of an honest belief that that was the right thing to do and it that even at the government levels they're saying we believe that this is the best thing to help with this problem but I also felt that a lot of conservatives were, were were giving them the benefit of the doubt. They just automatically assumed that this was a uh, a Democrat plot to take over America and drive us to be communists, and that was being fueled. You know, I remember when when uh, California's governor, in what I do believe was an overreach, prohibited singing in church for a while. But I don't think he was doing it because he hated Christians. He did it because the medical people that were advising him were saying. That virus travels over liquids that are propelled in the air by our mouths. And if they're singing, then those droplets travel six feet, uh, up to six feet, and they carry the virus. And so the governor said, oh, well, we shouldn't make them not do that then, you know. So uh, I don't think it was, uh, you know, plot by the Democratic governor to close down churches or to get rid of Christians and drive Christendom out of California. But. There were plenty of people who believed that. So, you know, just, uh, you know, conservatives are, can be. The sad thing is when I hear Christians jumping on these bandwagons and when I, I've had conversations with Christians, you know, about masks and things like this and the way they talk about them, they're not asking honest questions about, is this really effective? It's always, well, Democrats, they're just trying to take over. So they're making us, and I'm like, so they're not approaching it thoughtfully. No. Yeah. No. They're just they're just speaking the party line. And it's it's too bad because it should not be the case. And and yeah, there are things we need to question and things that that they are wrong about. But we can question those things and we can we can do so in a way that comes across as reasoned, not panicked. And um and not as a conspiracy theory. 
Yeah. I, I think of all the times that thinking things through, questioning, studying, looking more deeply into something in scripture was commended. Yes. As actually in some ways an act of faith. It mm -hmm. was being open-minded to the possibility that they might be wrong about something. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, not simply, you know, believing and blindly following Jesus, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or blindly following these new teachers of this new religion that, that right. the people who looked into the scriptures and searched them out were considered noble minded. Right. And that was a good thing. Absolutely. They were was. using their minds. They weren't, they weren't automatically adopting this new belief oh, yeah. just because the crowd was going along with it. Mm -hmm. um, but they weren't rejecting it outright either. They were thoughtful about it. Right. And I always thought that was a good model. Yeah. And Jesus himself said he didn't want a blind following. He didn't want blind faith in him. He said, you count the cost. If you're going to follow me, there's a cost. And if you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself and give up and, and carry your cross and follow me. Make sure you know what you're getting into. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Jesus said some hard things and some, some of the things he said drove people away. I remember one time in the scriptures that I just, it's just one of my, I think one of the most touching parts of the, of the gospels is one of those episodes where Jesus gave some hard teaching and a bunch of people walked away. So now, well, we're done with this guy. And Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, are you leaving too? And Peter's answer was, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, that was, you know, Peter's watching all these people walk away and he's making a decision right there. And he's saying, maybe I don't understand it all, but you've got the words of truth. You've got the words of eternal life. We need this. They made decisions. And then when he was persecuted, you know, he could have at any time, they could have said, no, I'm done. I don't want to be persecuted. And they could have walked away. But they were convinced because of what they knew and investigated that this was true. In our church, we're going through the book of Acts right now, written by Luke. And in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, he says, hey, I checked all this stuff out about Jesus. I'm reporting to you all the stuff that's been told and verified by eyewitnesses. And then in the book of Acts, in the first 15 chapters, here's what happened in the early church. And then starting in verse 16, and then we went and did these things. And he joined Paul at Philippi. And all of a sudden, he's not an investigative reporter anymore, but he's an eyewitness. What we see recorded in Luke in the book of Acts is very detailed, very researched information about Jesus and the early church. It wasn't blind faith. It was, we saw this. And then John, when he wrote the Gospels, he wrote the Gospel of John, he said, we're telling you what we saw. What we saw and heard. Yep. And then in First John, he goes, here's what we did. Here's what, and the fellowship of the light, here's what we saw and heard. You know, and so Jesus and the apostles weren't asking for blind faith. They're just saying, Here's what we saw. Here's what we heard. Here's what we saw. And it wasn't just us. 500 other people saw Jesus alive after he died. When you think about it, that's the whole idea of witnessing, right? Witnessing yeah. is being a witness. It's testifying. Yeah. It's not having all the right answers or, or the right talking points, the right Jesus talking points, or being able to accurately regurgitate the party line. Right. It's about witnessing. It's about here's what I've seen and heard. In, in my life. And here's what I've seen and heard about God, about Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it is much more of a, an eyewitness account 
Mm -hmm. for somebody to consider and you're presenting it to them and you're not expecting them to just have blind faith in that either. Right. So it's, it's interesting that I don't know what John Piper would say about this, but in terms of people's free will and their ability to make a decision for themselves about Mm -hmm. what they're going to do with their lives, it does seem like Jesus doesn't force himself on people. Right. He makes it absolutely clear what the truth is, Mm -hmm. but he still leaves it up to people to follow him or not. Yeah. 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 And and I agree with that. I really do. So, and we can learn from that. You know, he never shied away from the truth. He Mm -hmm. said who he was. He didn't condone sin, but he didn't bust down the doors of the synagogue and say, hey, you know, believe in me, you know, or burn in the eternal fire. So. He's very good about that. So then then there's the issue of Christians just passing on stuff they see simply because they just agree with the post, whether or not uh, what's claiming is actually true. So maybe there's a meme or a post about a political candidate, and it's just spouting something, or and it's it's denigrating and insulting, and Christians pass these things on. I'm like, well, I don't see Jesus ever doing this. and. Uh, he would have checked that out, you know, uh, before he did, and he wouldn't have anyway. But there have been numerous times when I've seen something posted on Facebook from a Christian, and less than two minutes of actual research could have showed that to be verifiably untrue about that person or position or whatever. But because it came from somebody they knew who was a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, then it's just automatically passed on because they believe it to be true. That's blind faith. If you can't take the time to actually check something out before you put it out, that's wrong. And I've been called out on that. You know, there was a time I posted something and, and somebody, boy, it probably wasn't even out two minutes and a guy said, hey, you know, you need to check this out. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. But it's no fun. And, and when I have pointed this out to that person, I usually do it in a private message. I usually don't put it in the comment area. I just usually send them a private message and say, you know, you need to check this out because it's not true. Here's a link showing you that this is not true. But when I do those things, it's usually ignored or my patriotism is questioned. Sometimes my faith in Jesus is questioned. And the other sad thing is that I have yet to see, at least I don't remember an occasion where a Christian has pulled a post and acknowledged their error after it's been pointed out. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. There's just nothing coming up to my memory where somebody has said, oh, you know what? I posted this in error. I found out later that it was wrong. I've deleted the post and I'm sorry. You know, that's, um, I think we need to see more of that. I have seen it once or twice. Okay, that's good. Um, that's but good. you're right. It's a rare thing. People don't want to admit that they were wrong or... Right. And I would love it if Christian leaders would do that. You know, the more public it, it is. It stands out, actually, because yeah. very few people in our culture are willing to step mm-hmm. back and admit that they were wrong or they made a mistake. Um, there's a real fear that you lose credibility when you do that. Mm-hmm. And it's better sometimes to double down. Mm-hmm. And um, the opposite is usually true. Right. Admitting that you you got something wrong and, and being humble about it is much better than sticking to your guns when, you know. Right you know, you shown to be wrong. Yeah. And we have so many tools available to us. We have no excuse to be passing on false information. I mean, literally we have computers in our hands, you know, that 
30 seconds to two minutes can show us whether or not. Well, here's an embarrassing thing, too. I mean, as a Christian, do you really want to be helping President Putin's, you know, disinformation troll campaign <laughs> on Twitter? Right. Because there's a chance that you are. I mean, mm -hmm. there, it's a it's a real problem mm -hmm. uh, with Twitter bots and Facebook and all the other social media channels. Um, there are, you know, legitimate uh, state campaigns mm -hmm. from China, Russia, and a couple others to yep. just make a mess of other people's countries right. and try to screw them up and try to get people mad at each other. Right. And if you're passing something along that you haven't checked out, that mm -hmm. just sounds right or it sounds like it must be true or it fits in with what you already believe about this person or this party, mm -hmm. um, you could very well be engaging unknowingly in somebody else's propaganda. That's right. And on a more spiritual level, country. right? And on a more spiritual level, Jesus said that the devil is the father of lies, and that he speaks his native language when he lies. So when Christians pass on information that is verifiably untrue, whether we know it or not, at the moment, we are aiding the enemy of our souls in defaming somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't have to like everything a certain congressperson does. And we don't have to like a, everything that President Biden does. But that doesn't mean that everything he does is wrong. And it doesn't mean that we can lie about him. And we need to be Christians who refuse to play the devil's playbook and be people of integrity who can be trusted. And this impacts other things. It impacts our witness it impacts how we can talk to other people about Jesus. If all they hear from us is passing on the party line and even passing on falsehoods about stuff, what are they going to think when we get a chance to talk to them about Jesus? They're going to think we don't know what we're talking about or that we're just passing on something else that we haven't ever checked out. That's a tough question. I mean, um, there are so many prejudices, um, beliefs about Christians, negative beliefs about Christians, particularly today in our culture. And there's no reason that you as a Christian should add to that and right. give people more of a reason to mistrust you mm -hmm. as, as a Christian. Right. And, uh, you have more influence than you think on the people around you and the people in your life who mm. know that you claim to be a Christian. Yes. And they may very well make decisions about Christians and about Christ based on whether you seem to be a trustworthy, humble person or not Right on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard to attract people to a Jesus who loves the truth when you don't love the truth. Sure. You know, and it just affects everything that we do. And so we need to be people who refuse to knowingly pass on information and then if we unknowingly pass it on or we mistakenly pass it on that we correct it when we see it and I, I believe with you i believe that that adds to credibility rather than takes it away all right so moving on uh the next thing i think we can do to love god with all our heart and mind how that really looks like is learning to actually think through a position or a truth claim so instead of just accepting it you know we we need to ask questions you know, really? Is that really true? Did he really say that? Is that really what he believes? You know, did he really do that? So we need to check people's sources. We need to ask questions, see how they came to believe that to be true. We need to think about 
why we have a position. How did we come to that? Take the example of um, abortion in the sense of that I believe life begins at conception. That's not, I don't believe that just because the Catholic Church told me that growing up. I believe that because I believe science has told us that a new DNA and a unique human chromosomal being exists from that point on. Dependent as it is on the mother, it is a new creation, you know, and so I believe life begins at conception because I think science tells us that. It just happens that the Catholic Church agrees with that, <laughs> you know, and I'm not Catholic, but my point is that um, I didn't believe that just because I was told to believe that by the church or by even by my parents. I believe that because I think science believes that, you know, and it happens to agree with my theological position. I think that's fine. The things I believe politically, have I come to those con um, conclusions based on actual thought processes or because my best friend who works for X political party down the street here handed me a pamphlet and now I believe everything that they have to say because of this pamphlet, you know, so I don't know, but we need to think. We need to think. We can't just accept stuff that comes down the pike. We need to think about it. And Christians are too often accused of not thinking. And I know that many Christians do think. Way more Christians than people are aware about. But we have just enough people to fill the stereotype. You know, and so we have to fight against that. And we and one of the stated goals of this podcast is to help Christians bust out of those stereotypes to show that we are reasoned and reasonable people. Mm -hmm. who know how to use our brains, the brains that God gave us uh, and an intellect right? that he gave us. And we're very aware that not all Christians are conservatives and not mm -hmm. all conservatives are Christians. There is obviously a fair amount of low overlap when you're talking about evangelical mm -hmm. Christians, right. uh, which make up a lot of our, our audience and the, mm -hmm. and the folks that we know. But, I am actually encouraged in some ways by the conversations that conservatives and Christians are having about issues of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that on balance, Christian conservatives tend to at least know more about what the other side believes. Mm. Um, Good point. There's some research there that that is pretty compelling that uh, like far left liberals are much less likely to know any Christians or even have a good understanding of what a Christian believes because that's sort of the dominant narrative in our culture right now. Mm -hmm. You can't really not n at least know or be aware of what uh, yeah. a, a, a non-Christian liberal mm -hmm. believes or someone who's more humanist or, or right. atheist in their bent. Right. So, and maybe that's an advantage of not being the, uh, you know, the dominant uh, group in our culture anymore is you're kind mm -hmm. of forced to sharpen your arguments and right. reckon with uh, the beliefs of others more mm -hmm. so. Right. So if you don't like the way that liberals are, or leftists are, or the, you know, they're just repeating the talking points they see on NBC, you sure don't want to be just like them. Right. By doing essentially the same thing. Right. With um, Fox News and Newsmax. Exactly. You know, um, <laughs> because... There you is want to no be such more thing. thoughtful. Yeah, we do, and and I, you make a good point there that uh, I I think I would uh, have no problem uh, believing that conservatives are more aware of what liberals think on things. No problem at all. And I think liberals would be uh, surprised at the intellectual level of many, many, many evangelicals who can think and who do think. 
Uh, it's just the the people they put in front of the cameras are the people who can't and don't, you know. So there's where the stereotypes come in. So um, let's move along here. Um, loving God with your mind also looks like reading from people who disagree with you. This is so tough for a lot of people, including myself. But you'd be surprised how much you might have in common with somebody, even if they disagree with you about a specific issue. But if you can find common ground with somebody, then, boy, you can be friends with people who disagree with you heartily on a big issue. And But as you read from other people or listen to them, you learn how they came to their conclusions. And you may not follow their reasoning and you'll probably still end up disagreeing with them and that's okay. But if you can understand how they came to that position, then you have a better understanding. You're able to accept their reasoning, even if you can't agree with their conclusions. And that will open the door for them to do the same for you. If they see you making the effort to understand their position and how they came to it, they're more likely to give you that same kind of effort and allow you to share with them how you came to your conclusions about these things. And that opens the doors to not only greater discernment, but also to the possibility of relationships outside of your normal circle. And boy, we need that. That's a good thing. When we can break out and we can become friends with people we wouldn't normally be friends with. And that's Jesus-like, you know, to bust out of our little bubbles to, to be around people who normally we might avoid. But Jesus didn't do that. You know, he reached out to the outcast. He touched the leper. He hung out with tax collectors and uh, on purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, he did these things. I love reading stories about how people with diametrically opposed viewpoints come together and they talk about these things and they're best friends, you know, but they disagree on these issues. I've mentioned a couple of some examples in previous episodes. And those aren't the only ones. It happens all the time. Uh, I was just reading in my book, um, the book I was just finishing, Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk by Eugene Show, which I just finished recently, about um, there's every Wednesday morning in the Senate and House chambers on Capitol Hill, there's a Bible study. Or it's a prayer breakfast. And these senators come together and no one else is allowed to be there. So you can't, no journalists, no guests. It's only these senators, only these representatives come together for breakfast and for prayer. And so, and people who, disagree politically come together to pray together and i'm thinking man you know that's awesome because they understand that they need help from god himself to be able to do things well obviously they don't always get everything right but just the fact that these people get together to pray with each other and i'm guessing it turns into prayer for each other quite often and that's a good thing. I was very heartened when I read that that book. So taking this to heart, uh, this point number four, reading from people who disagree with you, mm-hmm. that's actually been a really uh, meaningful thing in my life. I mm-hmm. was raised in a somewhat isolated Christian group that didn't really place a high value on reading things you disagreed with. In Mm -hmm. fact, there was sort of this mentality of creating a bubble where like you just surrounded yourself with Christian things or Mm -hmm. things that, you know, 
had a certain point of view Mm -hmm. and you didn't expose yourself to things that weren't in that bubble. And charitably, I think that most of the intentions were good, you know, trying to protect your kids from this or that bad influence. But uh, I do think it's unhealthy in that it creates uh, intellectual weakness. It, It doesn't allow you to really relate to people who have different points of view or understand them or empathize with them in many cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I don't like bubbles. I mm-hmm. I think we're more prone just as a society to have those, whether it's a filter bubble created by technology or if it's just our, our own personal groups that we feel comfortable with. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's always more fun and oh, absolutely. To, to, to hang out with people who already agree with you and think like mm-hmm. you do. It's more sure. comfortable. Oh, yeah. Um, but it sure totally. doesn't help you grow intellectually. Mm-mm. And it sure doesn't help you reach somebody who doesn't believe what you believe. Right. right. Yeah. And so you don't want to cripple yourself by simply creating a bubble for yourself and mm-hmm. protecting yourself from other ideas right. that might be. I mean, because it's a it's it's sort of a, a spiritual or intellectual insecurity mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's feeling that, you know, that you have to have an answer for everything. And if you, you encounter an idea that makes you question or makes you wonder that your faith is going to crumble. Mm-hmm. And I think if your faith is that weak, it's probably not very mature, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, your faith might be in having all the right answers and not in God himself. Right. So... Um, it's and that's important. dangerous. Yeah, it is. Knowledge puffs up. Exactly. <clears throat> yep. Two things real quickly. One is that if we can recognize that all truth is God's truth, then one of the ways that we can implement number four here, this reading from people who disagree with you, is that we read on purpose trying to find truth. What is it in here that is correct? What is he saying in here that is true, that we can agree on? Yep, that is true. And that, I think, can help us be a little more open to reading, you know, them just to understand them. So we don't have to agree with everything they say, but if we can find a nugget of truth in there, that helps us, I think, in our willingness Mm -hmm. to see how they come. And, you know, sometimes you may end up actually changing your mind about something by reading someone you disagree with, because you might find out that they actually have a point. They might have thought it through a little bit better than you. Right, right. It's happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know, even some of my political opinions have modified over the years just because I'm listening to people who love Jesus, love the scriptures, but have come to a conclusion on these other issues differently than I did. And I had to think, yep, they have given this more thought than I have. And I was guilty of basically just buying the party line. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily will or should change your opinion about right. something. Right. Sometimes you encounter an idea and it reinforces that what you grew up thinking or believing is actually true, but it gives right. you better reasons for, for, for believing that or maybe better understanding or grasp mm-hmm. of why you believe what you believe, which is also yeah. a very good and healthy thing. Well, and Josh, you actually um, embody some of this, what we're talking about in your discussions with a certain fellow here in Aberdeen. He's a columnist, a local columnist that you engage with on Facebook, Lawrence. And oh, uh, yeah, I love that guy, you know, and he's a nice guy. You know, he he's a Buddhist and you don't see many black Buddhists around, at least not in Northeast South Dakota, you know, but uh, 
just a nice guy, but I disagree with a lot of what he says uh, regarding spiritual things. But sometimes he says stuff that, yeah, I can buy into that because that's a scriptural principle that he just quoted there, even if he doesn't understand where it came from and, and doesn't claim to be a follower of Jesus. But I've noticed that when he says some things, and he does at times paint with a pretty broad brush, and you engage with him on Facebook and have conversations with him. And I love the spirit in which you do that because you're gently challenging him. You're teaching him. You're saying, here's, you know, here's why I disagree with that. And I've never gotten the feeling that uh, he is um, afraid of you or offended by you um, or is antagonized by you. I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, and he engages with you, you know, and sometimes it is a bit of a back and forth thing, but I think you embody the ability to have a civil disagreement with somebody, even if you never come to an agreement on whatever that topic is. One thing it has to start from a place of genuinely caring about that person as a person mm -hmm. yep. and wanting the best for them. You know what I mean? If if at any point you're trying to defeat somebody and crush them with your arguments or your intellect or embarrass them or, mm -hmm. you know, like as a society right now, we're really, really primed to immediately find the difference and immediately highlight the conflict. Right. And find the small disagreements. And Christians have been as bad or mm -hmm. worse at that. I mean, the, the theological differences that seem very, very tiny are things that people will, uh, certain people at least, will just be really get really nasty about. Right. Even and we can nitpick about with the best of them. Nit, yeah, nitpicking all over the place. I think it's really important to find common ground where you can. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to make sure that you are treating that person like a person and not like a, you know, a representative of some, mm -hmm. you know, group that you are, you know, diametrically opposed to and need to defeat at all costs. I mean, that's right. just not the way to approach any kind of conversations or mm -hmm. have any kind of high conversations in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, mean to pick on or call out, you know, a specific person, but um, the guy that you mentioned earlier, I know he does a, a lot of great things for our community. He really mm -hmm. cares about people. He does. He's a, you know, intellectually astute guy. I really enjoy mm -hmm. talking to him, having conversations with him. Mm -hmm. I wish him well, whether or not we occasionally butt heads on Facebook or, mm -hmm. you know, in person or whatever. I appreciate a lot of things about him yeah. just as yeah. a person. So he's got a big heart. And I want to nice. make sure that that comes across whenever we do disagree, whether it's right. publicly or privately. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to something we, we talk about a lot here is that the goal isn't to win the argument. The goal is to win the person. And we can have all the great arguments and beat somebody to the ground with them. But if they hate us and aren't interested in Jesus because of the way we treat them, eh, forget it. You know, it's it's just a losing, it's a losing proposition all the way around. So thank you for uh, demonstrating that to people in how you interact with Lawrence. And uh, so may we all learn from that as well. I appreciate that. You bet. So the last thing we're going to cover here is loving God with all your mind includes asking God for wisdom. And I made that the last point because 
I think we need to understand that God gave us our minds. He gave us a brain and an intellect, but sometimes we don't use them the most wisely and we need to ask for wisdom. Now, in the book of James, James, the apostle James, the half-brother of Jesus, who did not believe in Jesus until after the resurrection, had to be convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus was alive and that he was the Messiah and who later became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, tells us in his letter that if we're lacking wisdom, we should ask God who will give it and not just give it, lavish it. Now, the context of that passage is trials we face as believers. So if if we need wisdom in the midst of our trials, we need to ask. But I think it's still applicable outside of the realm of suffering because God wants us to be wise. He wants us to be people who reflect his wisdom. He wants us to use the brains he gave us. He's equipped us to think and to process information and to come to reasonable conclusions and convictions based on the foundations of scripture. He's equipped us to do that. And so often we don't. We take the easy route. And maybe that's kind of the bottom line of what I'm trying to communicate today is that Christians so often just take the easy route. and They take the easy way uh, about beliefs and communicating those beliefs instead of actually making the effort to think. And when we do that, then we look stupid. We, we fit the stereotypes. We come across as stupid, foolish, blind, unable to think, unreasoned, unreasonable, uneducated, whatever. And we can't do that. We need to be people who display God's wisdom in how we come to conclusions and how we communicate those. So we need to ask for wisdom, not just on the issues and what to think and, and believe about those, but we need to ask for wisdom and how to communicate those in ways that show our love for them. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think we have to start from a place of humility and recognize that we all have our own blind spots. We all have lenses that we see mm-hmm. the world through, whether it's our our cultural lens or our family of origin lens or whatever mm-hmm. it is that yep. colors and shapes our understanding of things just like everybody else. And we need God's wisdom to mm-hmm. correct that. Right. And to show us where we're wrong, show us where we need to be more loving or reconsider some preconceived idea or uh, go against the crowd, even if it's the crowd that we think is right most of the time. And that only happens with God's wisdom. But mm-hmm. the, the good thing is that we have access to that. We have a promise that God will give us wisdom every time we ask. We have the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. that can filter those things and bring light to something in our heart that we don't see. Mm -hmm. We have an advantage there. Right. If we look, we have people around us with more life experience or who have been through situations or or we just know them to be wise people. I've been surprised uh, over my years is that when I would talk to somebody and I just assumed they would, you know, agree with me on something. And then we talk and I'm like, wow, I didn't <laughs> expect that, you know? Yeah. But I know enough about them to know that, well, okay, if they believe that, I'm the one who's probably wrong on this one. Or at least it's something I need to take seriously. Yeah, yeah because you because know that I guy know didn't that come to that. character. Yeah. And he didn't come to that. You know they didn't come to that, you know. Lightly. Right. Right. They thought, wrestled probably mm-hmm. with that. So we need God's wisdom. And sometimes that comes in the form of other people, more research, the scriptures, all of that, all these great tools that we have that God has given us to become wise and to be able to impact people around us. 
I think it's also important to have grace for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned James earlier, right? James grew up with the same mom and dad as Jesus mm-hmm. did. And he yeah. had Mary for a mom. He yeah. had Joseph for a dad. He had Jesus for a brother. Mm-hmm. He grew up in the same household with the best preacher that ever lived, you yeah. know, the Messiah himself. Yeah. And he still didn't believe in him until after he died. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't a bad guy. Right. Right. He just couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. And there are people in this world who just can't see it. Right. And they don't have the advantage that the Christian has necessarily of having the Holy Spirit inside them to reveal right. truth to them. Right. God has to reveal truth to them in, in other ways and, mm-hmm. and work in their lives in different ways. And and he's doing that, but it, it takes people a while. Yes. And, it, you know, it's, it takes us a while. I mean, there's mm-hmm. things that both you and I have, you know, taken a half a lifetime to (laughs) to realize or or understand Mm -hmm. and um jesus and the gospel is a it's a counterintuitive thing um and it's absolutely it 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 cuts against our human nature so it's it's worth having grace for people who disagree Mm -hmm. uh and remembering that you know it's it's not an obvious thing trying to understand where people are coming from and right and and realize that it's a it's a process. Right. And we'd want the same thing from them. Absolutely. And I, I think we forget that. Yeah. We want people to show us that grace. We're not as quick to give it. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's wrong. We need the, the Lord to help us be better at that. Let's just recap these five things very quickly here. So we're talking about what does loving God with all your mind actually look like uh in real life. And the first one we said was that understanding that God has indeed given us a brain and an intellect that is not only capable of critical thinking, but demands that we use it. Secondly, it means refusing to take everything at face value. We need to think through some things. Number three was that we need to learn to actually think through a position or a truth claim and learn to come to conclusions through our own effort. Fourthly, reading from people who disagree with you. And fifthly, asking asking God for wisdom. And if we can do those things, you know, I think that will go give us a a real great start into loving God with all our mind. You know, you're listening to this and I'm guessing people out there have other ideas on how we can love God with our minds. And we'd sure love to hear that, you know, leave us some feedback, either a Facebook page uh, or go to anchor and leave us a voicemail, whatever you want to do, however way you want to contact us through email or whatever. We'd love to hear what you would have to say on how we can love God with all of our mind. Because we want to be people who are reasoned and reasonable. We want to show the world that Christians are not mind-numbed robots who can't think for themselves. We want to show them that God gave us an intellect and we're learning how to use it in ways that honor God and bring people to Christ. And we want to hear your stories too. And maybe it's a story about uh, someone doing that for you yeah. in a way that made a difference in your life or or seeing a conversation happen that turned out positively because you took that step and took the time to ask for wisdom and mm-hmm. um, listen to people who disagree with you and, and and treat them well or something else, something else related to our conversation. We just want to hear what other people's experiences are, good or bad, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. positive, negative, that help us to really think through these issues right. together. Right. Because the idea here is, isn't just for Josh and me to talk. We want to help people. 
uh, be more Christ-like in all their interactions. And we don't have all the answers. And the more we can learn from you, the more we can pass on to other people as well. So thanks for listening. God bless you, and we'll talk to you next time. Take care. Living Beyond Your Memes is a production of Truth Love Media and Discipleship DNA. Editing by EC Productions. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get in touch with Brian LaCroix at DiscipleshipDNA.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you in the next episode.